Support for Everything Explained comes from the College of St. Rose in Albany, offering master's and certificate programs for working adults looking to advance or change their careers. Easily accessible to downtown and state offices, the College of St. Rose has served the Capital District since 1920. strose.edu slash grad programs to apply. Electoral districts ebb and flow. The ever-changing population creates the challenge of drawing them as close to accurate as possible. When drawing, the lines can often get a little blurry, communities can become divided, and the way the edges of the districts are formed can determine the outcome of an election. At least, this is what legal teams across the country are trying to prove. The process of making the districts is called gerrymandering. And today, we have an expert on the pod to help us break down the fundamentals of the practice. I'm Ruth Greenwood. I'm the Senior Legal Counsel in Voting Rights and Redistricting at the Campaign Legal Center. Greenwood litigates a variety of redistricting cases. Along with co-counsel, she represents the plaintiffs in two high-profile partisan gerrymandering cases, Gill v. Whitford and the League of Women Voters of North Carolina v. Rucho. On a federal level, not every state has to deal with this issue. Some smaller states, like Vermont, for example, only have one U.S. representative seat for the entire state, which makes the issue more centered around medium to larger sized states like Wisconsin, North Carolina, Texas, California, and New York. So, Ruth, to start off the conversation on a broad note, what is gerrymandering? Gerrymandering can be defined in multiple ways. The type that I am concerned with is partisan gerrymandering. And that is where you manipulate district lines in order to get an advantage for one party over another. Term gerrymandering can also be used for racial gerrymandering or other things. Uh, What are you fighting for in this case? Like perfect representation or something close to it or something more similar to like an older method? I think what we really want is just fair representation. You know, in a democracy, it's supposed to be the case that if voters band together to elect candidates, that they're able to get those candidates elected. Gerrymandering skews the system so that even though you can get an over, you know, a majority of people wanting one party in power, uh-huh. that party doesn't win. And that just seems unfair. Are there other or better methods to determining a more accurate representative body within both state and federal governments? Are there other countries that might do it better or maybe even some local governments that uh, have figured out a better way to do it? So there's two things. There's You could use different methods, right? So Europe is famous for using proportional representation. Uh, You can also use ranked choice voting, which is sort of semi-proportional. So the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts does that. But within our single-member district system, you can still have much fairer representation than we have now. You know, even though each district is winner-take-all, the way that people are distributed can mean that you end up having, you know, say 55% of the people vote for one party, you know, they, they might get more than 55% of the vote. They may get 60%, but that's still fair in a, in a single-member district system. Could you give us a little bit of background regarding the history of, you know, where the practice of gerrymandering came from, or even where the name came from? <laughs> Absolutely. So Elbridge Gerry uh, was the governor of Massachusetts and later the vice president of the United States. And in Massachusetts in 1812, they drew a 
plan, a, re, a districting plan, and one of the districts basically looked like a salamander. And so the, the local news sort of went and captured all of the Boston suburbs. And so the local newspaper said, this looks like a salamander, it's Elbridge Gerry's salamander, which eventually became the gerrymander. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense from the pronunciation of his name, but that, that's how we ended up with the term gerrymander. Uh, but the important thing about that plan and, and the way the term developed is that we were able to see back then, even back you know, in the 1800s when we didn't have sophisticated computer technology, we could look at that district shape and say, hey, wait a second, they didn't draw that to correspond to communities. They drew that to try to get advantage for one party. And so these days, you could actually you know, effectively hide a partisan gerrymander in plain sight. You can draw nice you know, round or square-looking districts, yet the effect of those districts is to give a great advantage to one party. And so you know, we still think that that is gerrymandering, um, and that's what we're fighting for in, in this case and in, in other cases. When there's so many different shapes that it could take, depending on you know, population size, where things lie, how do you prove something is a partisan gerrymander? Is, is that even, it doesn't sound like an easy process. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing to recognize first is that we're not seeking some alternative platonic ideal. We don't say that there is a single map out there, and if you don't choose that map, you know, if the legislature doesn't choose that map, then, you know, it's all illegal. The, the point is just that there is a whole series of different ways you can draw communities together into districts that are fair, but there are also ways that are very unfair. And so our, our test just has three parts. You firstly say, was there a partisan intent? You know, were they actually trying to advantage themselves? And if you look at our case in Wisconsin, you know, the email records and the, the even the names of their documents were such that it was clear they were trying to gain an advantage in that case for the Republican Party. You secondly, in our test, say, well, even though they tried to get an advantage, was there actually a partisan effect? You know, did they muck up and actually not advantage themselves or, or did they gain an advantage? And that's where political science comes in. And so in Wisconsin, we showed evidence of the efficiency gap as well as a few other metrics to show that one side was systematically getting an advantage over the other. And then the third part of our test is, well, you know, is it actually possible to draw something that's more fair? You know, if the state has a distribution of voters such that you can't actually draw a plan that will ever sort of fairly convert votes into seats for both sides, then it's not fair to strike down their plan. There's like no remedy plan. And so we were able to have a political scientist draw a plan and say, hey, I've complied with all of your criteria. You know, I'm not splitting too many counties. It's nice and compact districts. But in this case, the efficiency gap is much closer to zero. And so this is a fairer plan that they could have chosen, but they didn't choose it. Legally, is there anything people can do without going to court? Like, is there something that the average citizen can do if they saw um, what they thought was partisan gerrymandering? Yeah, absolutely. In many states, there's the ability to do a referendum or a ballot initiative to try to change who actually draws the lines. So the citizens of Arizona and, and California have done this very successfully. They put on the ballot the question of should we change to have not the legislators draw the lines, but a set of citizens on a commission, because you know their interests are just to try to draw lines that the citizens like. Their interests aren't, let's draw a district that I can get elected from, you know, or put my friend in power, or, or so on. And so we know that there are ballot initiatives for 2018 
campaign in multiple states. So Michigan has one, Missouri, Colorado, Oregon. I'm sure there'll be more by the time we get to to the election. And so in those places, going out and gathering signatures and convincing people that this is a great idea is a way you can actually change the incentives to try to get more fair plans. Well, in places where you can't do that, then you really need to sort of band together in advance of the next redistricting cycle. So the census, according to the Constitution, has to happen every 10 years. And so it happens in the zero years. So it'll happen in 2020 and 2030 and 2040. um, And the results get released in the one year, so 2021. At that point, everywhere from congressional districts, state legislative districts, all the way down to, you know, school board, local water reclamation districts, everything will be redistricted. And so that's where citizens can get involved from the beginning and either propose plans. You know, there are lots of free online software that you can use to draw plans yourself or just make comments on the plans that get proposed by the local map drawers. So you can look at it and say, hey, you're not respecting my community. This this is not going to have the, well, (laughs) it may have the intended effect, but I don't like the intended effect of advantaging one party. Can we do something else here? Um, And in in some places that can be really effective. That's good information to know. For the case that's currently going through the Supreme Court, the Gill versus Whitford, are there what are kind of aftershocks could be felt? So obviously, the thing that I've thought about the most is if we win, <laughs> because I really hope that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we win, we set a standard for what a partisan gerrymander is, and that's something that can be applied in other states. So we've already litigated a case in North Carolina over congressional districts, and so a decision from the Supreme Court would affect what happens in that case. During this month, actually next week in Pennsylvania, there are some plaintiffs going to trial in the state court in Pennsylvania, suggesting that the plan there is a partisan gerrymander. And so that um, may be affected by what the Supreme Court says. Uh, So there's the initial um, effect on litigation that's ongoing. And then I would expect if we win that in multiple other states, uh, parties or or plaintiffs uh, will file. So it's not just going to be um, Democrats, you know, in Pennsylvania, but it'll be uh, Republicans in Massachusetts and Rhode Island saying, hey, this is not fair. This is a partisan gerrymander. And so um, I don't know that we're going to be able to get remedies for 2018, but certainly for 2020, we could get remedies. And that really has an effect if you think about the state House and Senate, because they're the people that actually draw the district for the whole next 10 years, once the census comes out in 2021, whoever gets elected in 2020 is drawing. And so if we actually get people elected in a fair way, hopefully those (laughs) representatives will then draw fairer plans going forward and we won't have to keep litigating everything. You know, the aim is that litigation is the last shot. You know, everything you hope gets improved and you only have to litigate for the really, really extreme bad cases. The other side, of course, is if we lose... And so in that sense, at the moment, essentially the parties have been gerrymandering like crazy. (laughs) And I imagine they will continue to gerrymander like crazy. So I don't know that the incentives will get worse, except we know that with people becoming more polarized and more clearly partisan, with, you know, computer technology, meaning that you can surgically pinpoint individual voters, and frankly, with more money in the process, I think that 2020 we will see, to quote, Paul Smith from the Supreme Court argument, a festival of copycat gerrymandering, the likes of which this country has never seen. And so 
that will be not good, <laughs> obviously, but it's, it's not the only result. Then our ability to muster citizens together to make change becomes even more important. So all of the ballot initiatives trying to get independent commissions for 2018 become even more important, you know, and I'll throw my energy behind them even more. <laughs> and then also once we get to 2020, the ability of citizens and the media to put pressure on the legislators as they draw these plans will be crucial. Just lastly... Do you think the idea behind gerrymandering and the way it's broken up could lead to more conversations or even litigation around the way the Electoral College determines the presidential election? Well, it's certainly come up a few times since 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the Electoral College, if you look at it from the, you know, assessing an efficiency gap standard, you know, is it giving systematic advantage to one side at the moment? Yes, it is. But it's not the sort of thing that you can change, I don't think, uh, through litigation. That that will be a people power. You know, let's get in there and, and change the way the Constitution assigns electors. So I've heard the term packing and cracking. What exactly is that? Right. So if you are going to draw a partisan gerrymander, they are your two main techniques. When you draw districts, you either want to pack your opponents into districts where they have so many votes that they're inefficiently being used. For example, you have a 90-10 district. So let's use Wisconsin, where the Republicans were in charge and they were trying to pack Democrats. So in the city of Milwaukee, they make these 90% Democratic districts. That means, and this is the terminology of political science, they call them wasted votes. You know, you only needed 51% to win, but you got 90%. So you were basically wasting, you know, 39% of, of your votes. Meanwhile, the Republicans were just wasting 10%, right? Even though they lost, there was just a very few number of voters there. So that's packing. Then the other side is cracking. So you go to the edges of Milwaukee and you say, look, we could have made a 55% Democratic district, but how about we drop that back to 45 so then all 45% of those votes from the Democrats are considered wasted and the Republicans are winning, you know, with 55, but they only needed 51. So they're, they're only wasting a very small amount, 4%. So if you do packing and cracking systematically across a whole district map, you are basically really inefficiently distributing one party and really efficiently distributing the other party's voters. And that's actually what the efficiency gap measures. It basically adds up all of the wasted votes, the packing and cracking, and tells you at the end, here's a single number for how advantaged one side is compared to the other side. And the good thing about that is that you can look at what's happening in Wisconsin and compare that number to what's happening in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, or anywhere else, even though they have, you know, different um, geographies, they have different numbers of districts, they have different histories of their vote, you can still look at the general fairness between all of the different states. And then lastly, why is this such a big deal for the Supreme Court? So the Supreme Court, since the 1980s, has said that partisan gerrymandering offends the Constitution. You actually really need to go back to the 1960s, where you had the one-person, one-vote cases. So throughout our history, the way to really gain an advantage for one party was to draw districts of different sizes. The case that went to the Supreme Court to set this standard was out of Tennessee, and you had some districts that were 800% bigger than the other districts, which meant that you had you know, one-eighth of the say of somebody in in one of the other districts. Now, that is a really effective way to gain advantage for one party. After the Supreme Court stopped that in the 1960s, the parties were like, okay, well, we can still do this. Let's do this packing and cracking technique. In the 1980s, a case came out of Indiana to the Supreme Court, and they said, 
Yeah, partisan gerrymandering is not fair under the Constitution, but it's really hard to know when there's an actual partisan gerrymander. You know, how much advantage is too much? We know that the parties are going to try to get a little bit of an advantage. You know, there's going to be little things that happen at the edges or you might get a freak election. How can we actually strike something down? So litigants went through lots and lots of cases trying to find a standard. The closest one was in 2004, a case out of Pennsylvania went to the Supreme Court. And the court again said, look, we still think that partisan gerrymandering offends the Constitution, but we just don't know how to tell whether, whether there's a gerrymander. And so a political scientist in a 2006 case out of Texas said, well, we have this metric called partisan bias. What do you think about that? Um, that involved some hypothetical elections and moving the vote, and the court was like, mm, well, it's a little bit too, you know, too out there. It's not enough, you know, real and on the ground. Yeah. Um, and so then in, in our case, we said, well, hey, we have this efficiency gap measure that's just counting, right? We're just counting up votes and how they're distributed. Um, and so far, the you know, three-judge district court has issued a bunch of decisions saying that they like it. Um, the Supreme Court heard our argument and didn't, throw us out of court as we were there. So that's positive. Um, so we hope that they will say, hey, look, this is the standard that we've been looking for. This is the way we can tell which plans um, advantage one side a little bit, and that's okay, and which plans advantage one side so much that it violates the Constitution. All right. Well, thank you so much today, uh, Ruth, for joining us on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Everything Explained is produced by WAMC Northeast Public Radio, with assistance from Kristen Gilbert and Ashley Kinsey. Also, we'd like to give a special thanks to Ruth Greenwood. I'm your host, Patrick Garrett. As always, we'd like to remind you to subscribe and leave a review because, like everyone else in the pod realm will tell you, it helps us to make more podcasts just like this one. And uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>